Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Thanks, man. Love you. Hi. The clock has begun. Yeah, it's good to be here. I love being here. I love being in this space. It's, I love seeing all kinds of different people here and different age groups. And yeah, it's a, it's a privilege to be here. And um, yeah, I want to, here's my, my plan today. I want to try to ask three questions sort of over the course of time. And um, I, I don't intend to answer them so much as just sort of let them do their work. Um, like the, uh, <laughs> the poet uh, Rilke, he says, um, we should try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to love the questions like locked rooms. And here's why. I think because um, it's actually hard to open up the Bible. It's hard to open up the biblical text. And there are so many uh, expectations. And we sort of open it up and we expect to, you know, get some kind of insight or some sort of answer, but we often don't know the right sort of question to begin with. And that's what I want to try to do. I want to try to ask some questions that I think this passage that Michael gave me um, is trying to sort of turn over. So here's the, here's the first question. Um, what is a, a religious life? That's the first question I want to ask. What is a religious life? And I know, like, religion itself gets a bad rap. You know, people are saying, um, what are they saying? I'm spiritual but not religious. And I sort of get the vibe. I get the general vibe. I'm spiritual but not religious. Um, Because, you know, religion has a lot of baggage and um, a lot of rules and expectations and norms and categories and, and doctrine statements and belief systems and so forth and so on. And, but I think it's, a, it's still a fair question, especially if you're going to say I'm not religious. It's still a fair question to say, what are we talking about? What is that? What is a religious life? And I want to try to be very simple at first. Or maybe we can blur the lines and say, what is a religious spiritual life? Something like that. Religion, if you don't know, you're about to find out, <laughs> um, comes from a Latin word, which means to rebind like to reconnect, to reconnect. Like where we get the word ligament, 
you know, that holds your body together. If you didn't have any ligaments, you would not be here, most likely. So it's that rebinding dimension, like connecting us somehow. That's all the word means, religion. So you ask yourself, do I feel disconnected at times? Do I feel dismembered or dissociated or something like that? Am I not connected from time to time? Now, whether or not religion does a good job is a, is a fair enough question. Like, all right, yeah, I don't feel all that well put together, but does religion help, you could ask? Put us back together. And that's, at least that's the intent of the word and of the great spiritual and religious traditions. It's trying to help us reconnect. And so you could say, yeah, I'm not religious, but I do go to yoga. Oh, yeah, what's that like? Well, I go to yoga to, to reconnect with my body and my spirit and to get grounded. Do you feel how it's, it's speaking the same kind of language? Whether or not it, it's a doctrine system or a belief system or something like that. So this is my first question. Um, what is a religious life? And I want to make a claim here. And this comes from, from Carl Jung. And you don't, you, know, you don't have to believe him, but I'm just going to make the claim anyway. He says that one of the instincts that every human being carries is the religious instinct. It's the instinct to want to reconnect. And you can't do anything about it if it's really an instinct. Like, well, what do you mean by instinct? Oh, I mean fight, fight, freeze, food, shelter, and religion. <laughs> That's what he says. It's like that deep in the human makeup where we desire that kind of reconnection. So if he's right, you know, you can not go to church, fine. You can not be a part of an organized religion. The question is, what are you going to do with that religious instinct when it wakes up? And here's a claim, a second claim I'd like to make. I will eventually get to the Bible, I promise. <laughs> The second claim I, I want to make is um, that a religious life is one that's oriented toward this kind of reconnection, or what I might call meaning, or ultimate meaning. That's simple. When I, if I say, like, I would actually say I'm religious. I'm not very spiritual. <laughs> I'm the other way. Um, I'm religious in the sense that I'm, I'm attempting to orient my life toward things of ultimate meaning. I'm trying to pay attention to that instinct to reconnect with something larger than myself. Have I made sense so far? So that's the way I think about religious life, um, as orienting ourselves toward ultimate meaning. Now, Jesus' metaphor, in my opinion, for this kind of orientation, he calls the kingdom of God. He says, if you want to turn toward things of ultimate meaning, his metaphor or the symbol for that is the kingdom of God. You say, okay, that's, that's good. All right, I'm gonna, let's say I'm going to order my life toward things of ultimate meaning. I'm going to orient myself toward what Jesus symbolically calls the kingdom of God. Okay, fine. What's it going to cost me? Is it hard? Like, does it, does it work? Is it going to make my life better? Is it going to make me happy? Is it going to work? Am I going to find myself connected to things of ultimate meaning or not? 
And here's where things get a little bit tricky, because I know what I'm about to say is not a very um, American church thing to say. Like, people will say, hey, you should go to church, got great things going on, we got groups you can join, your life is going to get better, and yet when you read Jesus, (laughs) you start to wonder, I'm not so sure. So now it's time for the passage here. All right, this is what Michael gave me, so you can blame him. All right, so let's say I'm wondering about turning my life toward things of ultimate meaning, toward the kingdom. I'm I'm interested in this. My my religious instinct, that desire is waking up, and and I want to go and talk to Jesus about it. And and he's probably going to say, you know what? Come on, you know, join us. I've got, you know, 12 disciples, and one of them is going to betray me anyway. You know, whatever. Sign up. It's going to be great, you're going to be happy, and all will be well, except this is what he says. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, cool. No, he said, "Um, I will follow you wherever you go. He said, oh, okay, well. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Oh, okay, so we're not going to have a home? Yeah, that's what he's saying. All right. In case uh, that wasn't enough. Then he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, (laughs) Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So this is the not-so-nice Jesus, you know. I know we're supposed to think about Jesus in like a pleasant bathrobe, you know, like waving at children. But what he's describing here is very interesting to me. Let's say you want to turn your life to things of ultimate meaning. It might cost you something. That's what he's saying. Things might not go your way. He's saying you might be homeless. That's what he's saying. He's saying you might have to betray your family and family norms and systems. I don't know if any of you have parents, but if you do have parents, the dynamic is not always so great, and they have expectations for your life, and they would like you to do certain things. And if you don't do them, then Thanksgiving is a little awkward. And that's what Jesus is saying. It might cost you something. It might cost you something. This religious life. It might not just make everything grand and great and happy and pay all your bills and get you Facebook followers or whatever. All right. I told you I was going to ask three questions. That was question number one. What is a religious life? And the sort of the sub-question was, what might it cost you? Are you ready for more? I have 19 more minutes. All right. Um, Here's question number two. If you're going to move from your small world, that's the way I'm going to put it at first, like your ordinary life, 
your day life, your working life, what in psychology we would call your ego consciousness, like who you think you are, what you think is important, your value system so much. If you're going to move from that to something greater, some vast plane, some unknown transcendence, the kingdom of God, I was just saying it in different ways, what's that process like? What's that process like? Because when Jesus is speaking to these people in this passage, they're right on the edge of that. They're saying, I want to go, but I also want to do some other things, you know? I don't know, like, the state of your own heart, but, like, mine is a little convoluted. I might say I'm into certain things, but then I behave kind of differently. So they're right on the edge. How do I leave this, my, my, how I think the world should be over to the kingdom of God, that sort of thing. Now, here's what I'd like to suggest, that the Bible itself, and when I say the Bible, I mean the entire canon, there is a single dominant image that is trying to answer this question. How do you go from who you think you are, your first house, your small identity, your hang-ups and proclivities and wounds and stories to something greater. And here's the single image that the Bible is trying to convey. They, the image is this. You start in Egypt, in the land of slavery. You move to the desert, the in-between, and then you make it to the promised land. Are you familiar with this framework? Okay? It is the dominant framework of the entire biblical narrative. I'm going from one place, my starting place, which is Egypt, slavery, but at least I know who I am, into the desert where things get difficult, and then maybe, if you're lucky, although Moses was not so lucky, if you read the Bible very carefully, he never makes it, into the promised land, which is another image for the kingdom of God. So... How do you move from something is waking up? I'd like my life to be a little more meaningful. I'd like to be more connected to what's real and what's true. In other words, the religious instinct. Over toward a more full life. And the answer is you have to go through the desert. That's the answer. You have to go through the desert. You can't go around it. Do you see what I'm saying? This is not a very American-like story I'm telling right now. Why not just skip the desert? Just go straight to the promised land. I mean, who has time for all that suffering, you know? Just isn't there a magic pill I can take to get me over to the other side? Okay, are you with me so far in what I'm saying? I want to read another disturbing passage, all right? Disturbing passage number two. Last time I came, I was younger, and now I need glasses, so... <laughs> If Michael ever invites me again, who knows? I'll have a walker at that point. All right. Um, I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 8, a, a passage that is about this transition from my first house to the promised land. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. And you could say, Why? Why is God leading people through the wilderness for 40 years? Go around it, you know? Does God not have a map, you know? Just go somewhere else. 
40 years, all right? It says, to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. To humble you and to test you in order to know what's in your heart. If you leave your first house of belonging and start making your way toward the unknown, toward the promised land, you get to find out what's in your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. The desert is the place where you get to find out what's real. What really do you value now when you don't have as much, when you're hungry and thirsty and things aren't going your way? That's that middle ground. And Jesus is looking these followers or almost followers in the face and saying, you decide what, you, what you're into here. I want to follow you. He says, okay, well, what if we have no home? Do you feel how like Jesus is turning up the heat? He's saying, yeah, I want to follow you, but I've got to go you know, bury my dad and you know, my family expects me to do that. He's like, ah, let the dead bury the dead. He's like, yeah, I, I want to follow you, but I need to go home and tell my family about it, and I need their kind of approval. And he says, ah, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you can't even do this thing. Do you see how Jesus is forcing the question of what is in your heart? What really is in your, in your heart? Are you half in? Are you half out? In other words, he's recreating this kind of desert in-between image to humble you, to test you, to know what's in your heart. Like, I could tell you right now that I'm working on a book, and I am, actually. I'm, working, I'm always working on... I'm on my third unpublished book, so... <laughs> I'm sure you're looking forward to not reading it. <laughs> and I'm actually working on a new book about Jesus. Um, and I could tell you, for me, I'm trying to wrestle with things of ultimate meaning. I am. I'm trying to wrestle with things of ultimate meaning. I'm trying to turn my attention to these things. I'm trying to wonder, you know, I saw a, a, I saw a picture of, <laughs> I saw a picture of Jesus diving to save a goal like this, and it said, Jesus saves. And you know what my feeling was? Christianity is over. <laughs> Seriously, that was my feeling. I was like, what is happening? So I'm, in, I'm trying to, like, Really, who, who was this figure? Does Christ still have the power to transform? These are things of ultimate meaning, at least in my opinion. My, those are things I'm wrestling with. But you know what else I'm also concerned about? <laughs> Working out. You know, I could write, but you know what would be a little more interesting? Biking for three and a half hours. And you know what else is of, of, my, of ultimate concern to me? My VO2 max. My watts, these are like for biking people, you know. That's that, those are things. So, like, the heart, the human heart is complex in terms of really what are your values. Like, one of the Ten Commandments is have no other gods before me. It's up there somewhere in Hebrew. So you have to go over there. Have no other gods before me. See, it's a way of saying we do bow down to something. Now, what is it that you're bowing down to? It could be your VO2 max, you know? Now, I'm going to sound something very cryptic. <laughs> this sermon is going to get more uh, dark as it goes on. Um, all right, so let's imagine um, before you're, <laughs> that you're preparing your own tombstone. All right, you're preparing your own tombstone. Instead of having other people do it, you're going to, like, 
take some initiative and make your own tombstone and let people know what you're all about. And, and you decide on your tombstone to put things like, um, I never changed. You know, here lies Kent Dobson, he never changed. Or here lies Kent Dobson, his VO2 max was 53. Um, or whatever, you fill in the blank. Like, really, what is it that you're ultimately concerned about? And then imagine putting that on your tombstone, you know? Here lies Kent Dobson. He cried in the last episode of Ted Lasso, or whatever, <laughs> you know? Whatever it happens to be, you know? It, these are things where, because I'm trying to dance with at least the question, what is of ultimate meaning and concern? And all I'm trying to suggest is that following Jesus is harder than it sounds. <laughs> I know we can sing happy songs about it, but he's making it difficult, Jesus' teachings. He's trying to say the desert, the in-between, you get to find out what's really in there. And those of you who have gone through periods of darkness and dryness and desert know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Yeah, that's what it's like. That's what it's like. You know, my favorite people on earth are people who have gone through AA of some sort. You know why? Can I swear here? I don't know. I actually don't know. I won't. They're, because they don't BS. All right? That's why. They don't. They've, they've looked in there and they say, yeah, um, I'm an alcoholic. They've, they've gone through the desert. And they're not under any illusions about the way they are. They've passed, in a way, to use my imagery, from their first house, the house of Egypt, which ended up being a house of slavery to their own proclivities and tastes and egoic hang-ups and desires and all that stuff into that stark desert in-between place and somehow come out the other side. Am I making sense so far? All right, so that was question number two. Um, how do we go from one world to the next? How do we leave home? All right, here's point number three, or question number three. Um, what's the point of following Jesus? What's the point? I don't know if you've ever like, considered this before. Really, what's the point of following Jesus? And is, exactly, is that the, the, the best way of putting it? Like, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? Um, does it mean to do exactly what he did? Like, I'm just going to do exactly what Jesus did. I got my bracelet. What would Jesus do? I also got my Live Strong bracelet. <laughs> it's like from the same era. I don't know what made me think of that. Um, I've got my WWJD. I'm going to do exactly what he did. So what did he do? Well, he spoke Aramaic. That's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak Aramaic only from this point on. I'm going to... And uh, I'm only going to wear sandals for sure um, that I'm going to make out of animal skin. And what would Jesus do? Um, I don't know, fish. That's it, I'm going to fish. I'm only going to fish. So we already know it doesn't really work quite like that. Like, what would Jesus do? We can't take it that literally. Um, and anyway, is that, is that what Jesus is asking? Is he saying, come and do exactly what I do? Um, my intuition is, I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is interested in. And here's, here's a question that's going to sound maybe a little bit selfish at first, but I don't really mean it that way. Here's an interesting question. What would you do? Now, really, like, what would you do? 
Let's say you start following Jesus. All right, yeah, I've got some things to learn. I'm not that wise. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm opening myself up to the teachings and insights and ways of being that Jesus seems to exude. But the question is, what would I do? Not what would, what would Jesus do? And the reason why I'm saying that is what happens immediately after this particular passage in, in Luke chapter 9? I guess come back next week and find out, but I'll give you a preview. Jesus says to his disciples, now you go do it. You go heal and teach and walk around and eat with rich people and eat with poor people. You go do it. Do you feel how different that is than come and let me do it all? You know, I'll do it all and you guys can just like praise me while I'm doing it. Like, watch me heal. And the disciples are like, you got it, Jesus. Jesus is awesome. No, that's not what Jesus is interested in. He's right away in the middle of his ministry, turns to his disciples and says, now you go do it. And he doesn't go with them. So it's a better question, what would you do? And if you're really going to wrestle with that question, then you have to wrestle with what's going on in the heart. Really, what, what am I about? What do I want to be about? Do I really want to turn my attention to things of ultimate meaning and concern? What would it look like for me to be a participant, like that, that liturgy that we said together, for me to be a co-creating participant in this? It really isn't about following Jesus, let him do it all, and then we're just going to sing happy songs about him. Jesus wants to turn up the heat on who you think you are in the world and your own value system and what you love and care and tend and pay attention to. Am I making sense? Okay. So how do you end a talk like this? I don't know. That's the, that, that I forgot to think about. Um, so my opening proposal was that we try to love the questions. And I'll just remind you what they were. Really, what is a religious life? Do you have a religious life? What is it that grounds you or connects you or rebinds you to things of ultimate meaning? And what would it cost you to turn some more attention to that way of being? To turn some attention? I'd like to put on my tombstone, at least I tried to turn to things of ultimate meaning. Something like that. Yeah, so what is a religious life and what is, what's waking up? What kind of instincts are waking up and what would it look like to turn some attention to that? And My second question was something like, um, how do we move from our first house, who we think we are, to the kingdom of God? And the clue, the hint, the guess the nudge was you have to go through the desert because the desert is the place where you get to find out what's in your heart, where the chest is opened up in some way and you get to peer in there and you might not like exactly what you see, but it's a kind of clarifying process. And the last question was, what's the point of following Jesus? And I'm trying to say, look, no one's going to make bracelets. What would you do? I mean, it sounds a little narcissistic, but... I'm saying that's closer to the sort of thing that Jesus is interested in. Yeah, come follow me for a little bit, and then I want you to do it. 
I want you to go out into the world and do what's yours to do and carry what's yours to carry and you bring your gifts. Jesus had his particular gifts and you have your particular gifts and it requires a certain amount of self-examination to wonder about what those are. So those are the questions. I hope you'll love them like uh, locked rooms where David White says, some questions have no right to go away. John O'Donohue says, the question is like a lantern. Okay, here's how I want to conclude. Um, I want to conclude with a, with, a, with a prayer, but I want to invite you into a call and response kind of prayer, a participatory kind of prayer. Instead of letting me pray, let's pray together. And so as the band comes up, I just want you to, um, if you can, if you're willing, I want you to actually close your eyes. And it's very simple. I'm just going to invite you to sort of repeat these words after me. Not sort of. I'm inviting you to repeat these words after me. It's a line from the Psalms. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Still. Be. Still. Be. Still. 